Merry Christmas. You know, the holidays aren't always holly and jolly for adults, and so... You know, suicide rate is the highest during the holidays, so don't phone a friend. Phone the suicide hotline. Link down below. Welcome to the Red Ribbon Red Wine Podcast, the podcast where we talk about murder, mystery, mishaps, and mental health during the holidays. Uh, My name is Kristen. (laughs) It's Sarah here. Hello. Yeah, I like. Should I say my name? I don't want to get canceled, but uh, too late. Oh, girl. Oh, one week out, and you just come and swing, and you know what I mean. Um. So, hi. <laughs> yes, we're um, we're back. I don't know if anyone expected us to come back, but <laughs> surprise, They're we did. Probably like, oh, guys, they finally quit. Guys, oh, and finally, yeah. <laughs> my prayers were finally answered, and they finally quit the show no sorry baby become an atheist again because god isn't real we're back (laughs) boom but um speaking of god he did he did try a recent assassination attempt on me i was on the brink of death to where it's that moment where you're like yes god i will do whatever you say as long as you make me better and then he makes you better and you're like thank you back to what i was doing but it was it was you don't make deals with the devil i think i did because oh my god i did not think that i was gonna get good there for a second i was just like Mm -hmm. i'm i'm gonna have to quit the show no one's gonna expect any i didn't expect anything from me i was i don't wish it on my worst enemy and it's what it was a fucking flu shot reaction from well i didn't get the flu shot but someone (laughs) in my household got the flu shot and i didn't have the flu shot so i got the flu but that's what happened to me. <laughs> sorry. I've been out. No, no, I'm I'm sorry that happened to you. Yeah, was, Welcome back. I, I'm having a drink. I literally have not had a drink since the last time I was on here. So I hope I don't slur. <laughs> <laughs> uh, something tells me you're going to slur. Because I already kind of have been. You are <laughs> when you're saying your name. <laughs> Anyways, anyways. Mm. What are you slurring on? Your white claw? Yes, black cherry, of course. She's a she's becoming a slow favorite. Oh, look at you. Like a, a nice little top two moment. Yeah, yeah. What nice. about you? I know you were dying for a second there and you weren't gonna drink anything, yeah. but I may be me a peer pressured you into grabbing but something. I literally am the worst with peer pressure. Even you, you peer pressured peer yourself pressure into at all. All you said was it's up to you. Yeah. I was like, if if you want, I can give you a moment and you can decide. And you're like, I'm going to go down and get a beer. Like, okay. <clears throat> Art Car oh. IPA. Love it. By St. Arnold. It's one of my favorite beers from Texas. Yes, it's always a good one. I like it. Do like that one. But yes, guys. Um, don't got much. Also, don't have much this week. Sorry, this is going to be the only episode that we'll be releasing this week. And then, kind mm-hmm. of more unfortunate news next week is the first of the month. Well, I don't know, maybe not unfortunate, depending on if you like them. It's our drunk mystery in history. So, 
yay for that, but nay for only getting one episode next week. Right. But the week after that, boom. Boom is all we're going to say because we're not going to jinx it this time. But boom. <laughs> expect what you expect from us, which is maybe not a lot. But yeah, it shouldn't be, honestly. Honestly. But what you should expect is a fucking scratch a of your head at the end of this because um, I had a lot of feelings. There's going to be a lot of moments, maybe. I'm going to try and not be biased, but at the same time, as I'm learning with this case, there are just always these unnatural biases that happen. So mm. let's learn about them. Fill me in, dude. Because today <laughs> I'm going to be talking about the case involving Cameron Todd Willingham. Willie. Willingham. 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 Mm. It is willingly Ham. willing. Uh, yes, I'm, <laughs> I'm like, not going to get over that. His, his name is Cameron. Sorry, it's going to happen. Okay. Like I cannot say that last name. I was trying to tell it to someone, and I was like, <laughs> so it's Cameron. It's Cameron for me. But um, I do apologize. I wanted to get this out before Wednesday, the twenty third. Whatever the twenty third was, I wanted to get it Thursday. out. Yes, Thursday. <laughs> I wanted to get it out before yeah. the 23rd, but fate happened, so it didn't. So it's coming out on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> so our case starts on the morning of December 23rd of 1991, and it begins much like you would imagine any other Christmas week for families in the quiet town of Corsicana, Texas. There was a doting wife and mother whose name was Stacy. I'm so sorry, Kukendall, potentially, who was out doing some last-minute Christmas shopping for her three daughters, two-year-old Amber Louise Kukiendo and one-year-old twins Carmen Dean and Cameron Marie Willingham. And mm-hmm. in the one article I read, it was saying that she was like at a Salvation Army, some type of thrift store, and she was just shopping for Christmas uh, toys for her daughters hmm. their father 23 year old cameron todd willingham was in the house sleeping with his children when he was suddenly awakened to his two-year-old daughter's cries for her father cameron soon realized that it was not the warmth the christmas cheer that was warming his chest but it was in fact a fire that was quickly spreading through his house ah. making his way through the smoke he called out to his daughter amber and would scream at her or And would yell at her and tell her basically to get out of the house while he tried to make his way to his twin daughter's bedroom. According to Cameron, the flames were too much for him to handle or the smoke was too thick at that point and he had to turn around and make his way out of the house in order to get help. When Cameron had managed to escape, there were only signs of singed hair on his chest, eyelids, and head, along with a two-inch burn on his right shoulder, as well as blackened smoke coating his wrist and hands. So according to one account, it was it was said that when Cameron had initially ran out of the house, he had yelled at a neighbor to call 911. Uh, But according to neighbors that had witnessed Cameron's actions after that, that is like really all he did as his house with his three children in it began to pillar more and more with smoke 
Okay, a little concerning. According to eyewitnesses at the scene, Brandice Barbie and Diane Barbie, they approached the father and had urged him to, in fact, go back in and rescue his children with Brandice, or sorry, Brandice, stating that at that point she had not yet seen flames. So it wasn't like the house at this point was completely ablaze and they were sentencing him to his death by saying, hey, go back in there and save your children. She hadn't seen any flames at this point. So she's saying, hey, there's possibly a chance like you need to go in there and help your kids. But he just stood out and watched. It was said that at some point he did walk over to his car and move it away from the fire. And then after that proceeded to sit on the lawn and watched as the fire took over, not attempting at all to go back in and save his two-year-old who had not made it out at the lawn at this point, which he would have noticed if he had walked out, as well as his twin one-year-olds who had no chance of making it out. It was only once the fire was pretty much all consuming the house and the fire department and emergency services start to arrive that Cameron begins to act agitated and kind of inconsolable to the point where he has to be held down by emergency services. He would later be... I know... Sorry. I know, like, everyone reacts to traumatic situations differently, so I'm also trying to keep an open mind here, but... Yeah. It's one of... And it's one of the things that Cameron says is, like, the neighbors judge me so hard, but until your house is on fire, burning, like, you don't know how you're going to react. And it has been said at this point that he had before he tried to get out of the house gotten tried to like go and save his twins and yeah the fire was already there so i'm not trying to play devil's advocate but it would make sense i guess maybe why he wouldn't go back in but at the same time like it doesn't matter in my opinion if that house is on fucking fire if it's a blaze if like i don't give a fuck i'm going back in there like a you lot can't, of people you can't would find a way go back in there people would be pulling me back uh, but he's a man and, you know, men are different. They fucking, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, the, like 15% that listen, but <laughs> they just, I guess, can react differently. They, I don't know, maybe valued their life more than, I'm not going to say anything, but yeah, it's just, it's just, you'd never know how you're going to react. I say that I'm going to go into a burning building. Will I? I don't know. Cause I don't have a burning building in front of me right now, mm-hmm. but Either way, he would be later transported to the hospital, and it would be in handcuffs. Um, But once the fire died down, there would be three small bodies of his daughters that would be found amongst the rubble. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, it was concluded through an autopsy that they did die of smoke inhalation. Um, So So it wasn't like a cover-up? It wasn't like flame, or it wasn't like the fire got to them first, you know, they like burned alive. Oh, true. Okay. To me, I'm like, at least smoke inhalation, it's kind of like you pass out. It's a terrible way to go, but it's yeah. not like... I don't know why I was thinking, like, that also tells us that they didn't die before the fire of a different cause. Mm-hmm. And the fire, you know, because that's that is it is uh, a thing, so... And it's theories that come up later on. Yeah. So, in the following days after the fire occurred, some more strange behavior would occur. Um, 
not only by Cameron, but by Stacy as well. Oh. Which, it's just like, take it as you will. I don't know. Both would return to the house with family and friends, and at one point they would describe, witnesses would describe both Cameron and Stacy basically going around the rubble of the house, and they were, like, smiling and laughing. So, I... You can maybe be thinking of a memory, and that's like you, you literally don't know how you're going to yeah. react in grief, but it, it's just something to know. What was stranger, though, <laughs> was uh, one fireman, Ron Franks, would describe how Cameron seemed to become really like irritated that he was not able to find his start set. And it's like, okay, um, I think you have other things that you should like worry about yeah sir he would even take it a step further and place an order for a replacement set at a local bar where a community was holding a fundraiser for the couple for i guess to help raise funds for the children's funerals and whatnot so cameron would place an order for this replacement dart set and basically said that oh money's not going to be a problem now oh fuck i knew it I knew it. <laughs> I do you. I just said, well, yeah, well, like, mm-hmm. insurance policies stacking. <laughs> the and- CFD investigators, Doug Fogg and James Paulos, began investigating the scene as soon as the firefighters were pretty much done controlling the fire. You also have SM- SFMO Deputy Fire Marshal Manuel Vasquez, who arrives on December 27th of 1991. Now, this is important to note because I will not say it again because I will forget about it. Fogg, who is one of the investigators that was on the scene, is now retired and is not reachable for comment. Vasquez, the deputy fire marshal, is now dead. So, he cannot speak from the grave. Unless you are a medium, let me know. (laughs) So, suspicions stack and Cameron Todd Willingham is arrested on January 8th of 1992 for the capital murder of his three children. A year later? <clears throat> it happened December 23rd. So it's like not even well, a week almost later. a year later. Oh, like 2 weeks later. But you said 1992. Yeah, December Didn't and then the January fire happened is- in 1991. December 91 is when uh, the fire happened. December 23rd, 91 is when the fire happened. January yeah, so 8th, later. 92. Uh, I thought you said December month. 8th. No. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> We're Miss Anthony. It's not me. It's my <laughs> Santa hat. Oh, yep. <laughs> Blame it on Santa. That's the fucking Christmas spirit. <laughs> but it's, So it's like two, three weeks later. I don't know. Someone do the math for me. So, just shortly after, he is arrested for the capital, and he's given capital murder charges for the death of his three children. Now, Cameron was offered a life sentence in exchange for a guilty plea, which he did deny, basically saying that he did not commit the crime and he would rather be sent off to trial and face death than plead to something that he did not commit okay interesting so his trial began in august of 1992 
in which Deputy Fire Marshal Vasquez would testify that there are burn trailers that were found around the house that indicated a poor pattern on the carpet, which there is a huge, it's like over 900 pages, but it is also not about just his case. It's about someone else's. It gets into a lot of detail. I'm not a fire marshal, nor am I pretending to be one, so I will, like, get into a few details about the fire. Um, Just know that, like, this report says a lot, and if you don't trust my word, read the report. It is linked down below. But yes, so (laughs) according... It's a court court report? Yeah, it's so... um, Yeah, we'll get into it. I don't want to give anything away. So the house indicated a poor pattern on the carpet, which, according to these guys, essentially means that the fire, according to these fire guys, fire burns up, liquid burns down. So Mm. if they are using a type of accelerant or something like that, they will notice weird patterns on the floor because the floor is not technically the first thing to burn. It's really hard for a hardwood or a carpet to completely burn first. It's going to be one of the last things because fire just tends to go Go way up to the air or whatever. Warm rises. Remember that if you're cold. Wherever the oxygen flows. Yeah. So when they notice these weird burn patterns on the carpet to these detectives that saying, oh, an accelerant was used because these patterns can only be caused when a liquid is dripped onto this carpet or onto the wood and it causes these types of weird burn patterns. So along with this, he also states that in, I believe in the article it was like a v pattern but either way he was able to say that there were three separate places oh, oh sorry i thought that was my white claw it's just my thing. not the white claw <laughs> not the white claw <clears throat> so along with this evidence he was able to state um i believe it was from like a v pattern that he was able to find that there were three separate places where he could indicate where the fire had actually been started with what he claims is an incendiary device. If you don't like my favorite murder or don't know anything about an incendiary device, it, it just, like, helps you start fires. Like, oh. I know one guy uh, that liked to start fires in California. He did, like, a matchbox, and then it went into tissues or something really flammable, and that's what started mm-hmm. the fire. So it's just anything that can be used to accelerate a fire arson arson it is arson okay yeah so i prefer lighters (laughs) (laughs) vasquez would state in court that the inconsistency of the fire going out of the window and he would talk a lot about like the glass cracked and it only glass only say that five times (laughs) fast glass only cracks like that if it is like sudden and hot and blah 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 science and so the inconsistencies with the fire going out of the window the glass cracking a certain way this is inconsistent with regular fire behavior it's an indicator that it is a possible incendiary fire arson Mm -hmm. so he goes the puddle configurations the poor patterns low char burning a charred floor the underneath burning of the baseboard the brown stains on the concrete the underneath of the bed because the fire was underneath the bed 
the puddle configurations in that area and the total saturation of this floor all indicated with floor patterns because of all of this evidence that I just stated he is looking at the facts he's looking at the evidence Vasquez would state to the court the fire tells the story I am just the interpreter I'm looking at the fire and I am interpreting the fire this is what I know this objective is is what I do best and fire does not lie it tells me the truth oh my god mike drop walk out of court boom uh, like, okay mm-hmm. he talks to fire yes he <laughs> he's a parcel 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 tongue with the flames yes he's like you know the dexter of csi to flame yes he probably loves and started fires as a kid yeah Yeah. right (laughs) nothing wrong with that though he sounds like he's very passionate no he really is is super passionate about his fires that he investigates this was all the proof he needed though to seal cameron's fate and convince the jurors that cameron had started the fire that in fact killed all three of his daughters while he stood by and watched (sighs) Well, you know, like, sounds like someone definitely started the fire, but does does it have to be Cameron? Could it have been someone else? Did they even look at that option? We'll get into it. Good theories. Oh, yeah. I thought we would. Good theories. I don't, that's why I've been kind of quiet because I've had, like, comments and questions, but I, I know, like, you're getting to it because you said yourself that it gets deeper than... So, anyways. Oh, yeah, we got a lot more pages to go. I'm only on page three, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so, the prosecutors bring a jailhouse informant by the name of Johnny Webb up to the stands. And it's important to note that uh, all of the witnesses, really, that come from this case are from the prosecutor's stand. I, the defense, I do later on say, brings one person on, but it's pretty much all the prosecutor's witnesses at this point so johnny webb would come up to the jury and tell them quite an interesting story that he had so according to him while he had been in jail with cameron cameron had in fact confessed that he set the fire in order to hide an injury or death that had occurred to one of the girls that had oddly I hope <laughs> I read this right, had been done by the wife, Stacy. <sighs> but nothing ever comes Because we haven't this. heard much from Stacy, like, about how she feels or how, and other than the, like, like laughter. Honestly, and this is why I'm, like, I did get this fact from Wikipedia, so I'm just going to throw that out there. But I tried to dig further to see if they dug into Stacy a little more. They didn't. And Hmm. uh, you find later on, it's kind of like you understand why. But I thought it was a very interesting fact that he threw into the story that Stacy had been the one to, I guess, initially injure the girls. And Cameron was essentially doing it to cover it up. But this is like Uh. really the only talk that I hear of it. And again, it's a Wikipedia fact. So like take with it what you will. But yeah. 
There were no injuries to be found on the girls to prove the theory that Webb had spun that, you know, Stacy had, in fact, like, hurt or killed the girls beforehand. But there would be burns that would be found on two-year-old Amber's forehead and arm that Webb had said that Cameron had done on purpose using a piece of wadded paper in an effort to try and make it appear as if the child were playing with fire. Oh. Because as you find out later on, one of Cameron's theories is that, oh, my daughter Amber was interested in a lot of things and so there was a lamp that spilled with some gasoline or some something in it some type of accelerant and she set the fire oh i mean not completely out of the you know it's just like field, the, but okay you gotta pay close attention to this one because there are a lot of webs that are spun and it's uh. like, yeah, it's weird. Stacy was brought up onto the stand, like, I want to say for the prosecutors, um, but she would insist both on and off the stand that, you know, Cameron would not abuse the kids. She didn't think that, I guess, like, Cameron would hurt them, but yeah. we'll get more into that later. Okay. So one of the last witnesses that the prosecutors bring up is a medical expert um, by the name of James Grigson, and he was brought on to verify the claims that the prosecutor had made that a tattoo of a skull and serpent, sorry, serpent that was seen on Cameron's body meant that Cameron was, in fact, a sociopath. What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, James Grigson also known as Dr. Death, because he was known for his repeated testimony in which he often recommended the death penalty, would say that Cameron's criminal history was that of an incurable and extremely severe sociopath. And when you start to hear the crimes that Cameron committed before the fire you start to realize he was prone to some pretty violent streaks. Oh, shit. So there is an incident that is mentioned in court, I believe during this trial, where Cameron is accused of beating his pregnant wife with a telephone in order to force a miscarriage. In fact, there is evidence that even when pregnant, he would hit his wife and though there was no evidence, met both medical or police records, that would state that he would try to abort his children, there were claims that during both of her pregnancies, he would beat her trying to force a miscarriage. My God. He was also convicted of a burglary just three months before the fire. And while the fire happened, he was still on probation serving just three months into a six-year probation sentence for that burglary crime. Hi. But like I had said, Stacy said that she took a lot of the abuse, but Cameron never hit the kids, according okay. to her. The jury was given the motive that Cameron had intentionally started the fire to rid himself of the children that he had never seemingly wanted. 
The minor burns that were seen on his body were stated to have been made on purpose in order to avoid suspicion from investigators. But Mm -hmm. overall, Cameron did not testify in his case, and he contested his innocence. Huh. Knowing his past, I'm like, okay. That's why I'm saying, man, the webs that are about to get woven... I really tried to get a sentencing date. Sorry, I was focused on a lot more information to focus on that. But either way, uh, Cameron would be sentenced to death for the murder of his three children. Of the events that had happened on that faithful December night, Cameron would again suggest that his daughter Amber was the one to start the deadly fire. He stated that it was either that or someone with the intent to kill me and the children had done it. Cameron Todd Willingham maintained his innocence up until his last breath. He used his last words to state, I am an innocent man convicted of a crime that I did not commit. I have been persecuted for 12 years for something I did not do. From God's dust I came, and to dust I will return. So the earth shall become my throne. I gotta go, road dog. (laughs) He would then express his love for a woman named Gabby and throw obscenities at his ex, Stacy, who was watching from an observation room. He would even attempt to make an obscene gesture at her, uh, though his hand was strapped because he was, you know, about to be lethally injected. Yeah. Oh, my God. And so, on February 17th of 2004, at 6.20 p.m., Cameron Todd Willingham would be pronounced dead by lethal injection. And now this is where you think the case would stop. (laughs) I know. I'm like, I know it's not over. Like, no way, Jose. So what the fuck are you about to, like, throw at me? Because it's Christmas time, y'all. I got to do better (laughs) than fucking that. And I got to give you a story that uh, leaves you not feeling good and thinking, oh, the bad guy got the justice that he deserves because Mm. Merry Christmas. You didn't get what you asked for. (laughs) Because the jury that charged Cameron with murder did not know that the arson investigation into the fire that killed his three children was filled with complete and utter nonsense. (gasps) And it was something that Cameron had stated from day one. And you would see it in his actions through his appeals. A motion for hearing would be denied on April 26th of 1995 for the Supreme Court denying a petition for the right of certiori. Certiori. Come at me. It basically means Google it. Uh... It's a petition to be more fully informed. It basically translates to be more fully informed. He wanted the higher courts to take a look into his case and try and see what the lower courts could not. But of course they denied it. So once that failed, Cameron would file a petition for a writ of habeas corpus in the state's court sometime in 1997. 
So this basically meant that Cameron is claiming unlawful detention or imprisonment to a court and wanted someone to predetermine if this was essentially just or unjust. There was a federal... uh, There was a federal magistrate judge that would deny the petition, and the federal district would agree with the magistrate's decision overall. He would try another petition for a writ of cert in 1998, which was denied, as well as his attempts in 2001, 2003, and his final attempt just a few days before his death in 2004, with a petition for writ of habeas corpus in the state court specifically attaching a statement challenging the fire investigation. This was denied, as it was suggested that the petition did not meet the legal requirements for a claim of newly discovered evidence of actual innocence. But in January of 2004, when Cameron was just weeks away from being sentenced to his death, friends and family of Cameron had reached out for their last hope in the form of a man named Gerald Hurst. Now, Gerald was a fire investigator who, pro bono, did it for free decided to take a look into the fire investigation. And this is what he found. Because not only according to Gerald Hurst, but a 893-page report that was done by the Texas Forensic Science Commission, which my ADH brain halfway read through, so we are welcome. (laughs) (laughs) The standard practice for state and local fire investigations in early 1990s in Texas, or anywhere for the United States in that matter, well, there was none. And that's the fucking problem, bruh. Okay. So, in fact, fun fact, not so fun fact, before the release of NFPA 921, which sets the bar for scientific-based investigation and analysis into fire and explosion incidences. In 1992, there was no single document on the face of this earth that described any type of standard of practice in an open fire investigation. And some Karen's going to be like, okay, well, like, they were making it before. Yes, so they NFPA started in mid-1980s. It was not published until 1992, and it took until around the mid-90s for people to start catching on because, you know, it's the 90s and people don't have fucking cell phones or, inter- I mean, internet's a thing, but whatever, not the same thing. Smartphone. And some other person's going to be like, oh, well, Kristen, the National Bureau of Standards in 1980 released an MBS handbook, 134, which titled the Fire Investigation Handbook, which said Fire Investigation Standards. <laughs> well, to that, Karen, I say you don't know how to fucking read because it was not based on any of the recommended scientific testing, you fool. You fit? It's invalid. Ero, Literally. Ergo, you can't use that in an investigation. So how did investigators like Doug Fogg and James Paulos come to the conclusion that Cameron Todd Willingham set fire to his own house? Well, the process of elimination, of course. (sighs) They did this by determining if it was inconsistent with known case facts or what was not physically possible. But with no scientific evidence to go off on... Investigators in the early 90s would rely heavily on the teachings of their mentors. 
but their mentors would have little to no access of any type of controlled burned experiment shelters where they can watch and observe the way that things burn in scientific manners or any other type of way to validate how certain fires look when they burn, especially when things like an incendiary device is used. Yeah. Not to invalidate all investigators, I'm just, you know, this is a... They were products of their times. Yep. Of their... Whatever. And because we used mentor, and because we used mentors to teach us, and not every mentor is learning from the same book, because there is no book. <laughs> you had inconsistent data floating around from every investigator that you would come across, and these people are sending people to their death. Yeah. So, fun fact, not so fun fact. Before 1995, many investigators that were trained were trained with misinformation and misconception when it came to any type of arson investigation. Of fucking course. And it shows in Cameron's investigation. It was stated that when the investigators started investigating, they would do things like shovel debris, aka evidence, out of the goddamn window because it was in their way. The poor patterns that I had mentioned that sealed Cameron's fate in prison were mentioned in NFPA and in 1995, sorry, and in their 1995 edition in section 4-17.7.2, I'm probably saying that wrong, fuck off, states that while poor patterns could have been caused by an accelerant with synthetic carpets and pad melts, like the ones found in Willingham's home, it can cause the same exact patterns as the fire approaches, melting the fibers, and also things such as pillows, blankets, debris, like the debris they shoved out the fucking window, can also cause these specific burn patterns on the floor. Mm. The brown stain that they stated was out on the concrete that was caused by an accelerant was said by other investigators to have likely come from a sustained heat by another source and not that by the source of a fire because if you have a driveway you notice like your car will make that fucking it's probably the oil or whatnot i don't even fucking know but investigators said it so there I'm like, yeah, yeah. There is also no solid evidence after the experts reviewed the 52-minute videotape of the house that proved Vasquez's theory that the fire had originated from several locations. There uh, was also, I didn't write it down, but I do believe that there was a fridge that had been thrown in one of the doorways. And so investigators had been like, oh, he threw the fridge in front of the doorway in order to make sure that his kids couldn't escape or like he set the accelerant in these certain places so it would make it harder for fire investigators to come in but it just ended it ended up being like <laughs> the place where the refrigerator was was not like there were two other entryways and it wasn't mm. consistent with him pushing it there like forcing that refrigerator there as a way to block that entry like I, it okay. sounded really weird and when I heard something like that I'm like obviously why would you put a fridge in front of a door but I guess um, like I know 
I have a fridge in the garage, so I don't know. I thought it was a weird fact, but it's yeah. one that they disproved and said that it was not consistent with him pushing it there to block the passageway. Right. It's probably just like in the doorway a little bit and they fucking say it's blocking it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have a look at this 52 minute video, so I have no idea, <laughs> but... It was also proved by a medical examiner that the injuries that Cameron sustained were consistent with a burn that would occur right before a flashover, which is what happens right before a flame takes over an entire room. Because, um, like I had said before, they had suspected that Cameron had self-inflicted those wounds on him, but then you had a medical examiner say, no, those are consistent with wounds of the place suddenly being taken over, and then he walked out or right like i said there is a shit ton of evidence discussed in this big ass report i'm trying to keep this episode under a certain amount of time so if you really want to know like uh we'll have the link down below and it's also in the innocent project um that i will have linked down below as well that's like the easiest place to find it for him So on August 13th of 2008, the Innocence Project would file a formal complaint with the FSC stating that there was professional negligence and or misconduct with the arson investigation and testimony used to sentence Cameron Todd Willingham and Ernest Ray Willis. So in June of 2009, the state of Texas would decide that they would re-examine the case and the examination would find that there was no sufficient evidence of arson to be found. With this newfound evidence, the Texas Forensic Science Commission scheduled to discuss the report, but just two days before the meeting, then-Governor Rick Perry would replace the chair of commissions along with two other chair members. This new chairperson basically decided that they were no longer going to have the meeting, and it essentially got pushed back like, a really long time it's on the meeting is still going on to this day technically like they haven't had a conclusion i guess for it there isn't yeah but yeah so (laughs) this sparked rumors that perry basically put this new commissioner in place on purpose to interfere with the investigation for his own political game which i'm Uh. like fuck you i'm glad you're not governor anymore On January 7th of 2011, the FSC uh, convened an expert panel with Assistant State Fire Marshal of the SFMO Ed Salazar, Dr. John DeHan, Dr. Craig Byler, and Houston Fire Investigator Buddy Wood, and Texas State Fire Marshal Paul Maldonado with information regarding the case. So, basically, all of these guys give evidence attesting as to why this isn't right i and basically what i read in the report is like they just give suggestions as to what they should do better it's not like they're um, necessarily saying oh cameron is innocent of this but they Um, do find a lot of inconsistencies with okay i don't know and who is Ernest? i get into that okay don't worry (laughs) (laughs) it was like did I miss something again? No, you didn't. Wouldn't be surprising. Uh, but this expert panel report is where I got a lot of the fire investigation information regarding the case. So this is a lot of their like expert testimony. 
In April of 2011, the Forensic Science Commission issued its final report, though it did not specifically state whether Vasquez's findings on the arson case were correct or not. And if you need another reason for Texas to kick out Greg Abbott, in July of 2011, the then-Texas Attorney General, now Governor of Texas, released his opinion prohibiting the commissions from investigating specific items of evidence that were tested or offered into evidence prior to September 1st of 2005, in his opinion. In my opinion, solid fuck you. Fuck Greg Abbott. (laughs) So in 2014, the Washington Post would report that new evidence had surfaced indicating that Johnny Webb, that good old jailhouse informant, had confessed on videotape that he lied on the witness stand in exchange for prosecutors' uh, help in obtaining a reduced sentence for his own crimes. Oh, fucking As well corpse. as the financial support that he would get from a rich rancher. Don't know where that came in, but it okay. was part of his what he said. This, along with the many medications <laughs> that he was on for his bipolar disorder, would cause him to just go up and lie on the stand and say that Cameron did what he did. On March 3rd of 2015, the Texas State Bar would file a disciplinary action against uh, Jackson, who was the prosecutor for failing to disclose information on his deal with Webb. So according to the complaint, during a pretrial hearing on July 24th, of 1992, Jackson would tell the trial court that he had no evidence favorable to Willingham, and that statement was obviously false. As for the other star eyewitnesses, the old bag, that psychiatrist named James Grigson, (laughs) prior to his death, had been expelled by the American Psychiatric American Psychiatric Association and the Texas Society of Psychiatric Physicians for unethical conduct. The APA said that Grigson had violated the organization's ethical codes by arriving at a psychiatric diagnosis without first having examined the individual in question and testifying in court as an expert witness. So for Cameron's side of the family, uh, the lines are very blurred. There was a babysitter that was brought on the defense's witness stand. So this was the one witness that they brought up that would testify, saying that she couldn't imagine Cameron hurting the kids. And it's a statement that seemed to ring true for a lot of people that Cameron would meet, though I'm not trying to say that by any means that clears him because a lot of fucking abusers uh, hide Mm -hmm. under masks so his old probation officer would say that he never demonstrated a sociopathic behavior of any type and had even been one of his favorite kids and the judge that had even sentenced Cameron for his burglary charge said that she couldn't imagine him killing his kids and even called him caring and polite but I'm like he is trying not to go to jail he will be caring and polite Mm -hmm. his for his wife, Stacy, though, she would try to spill some tea. So, in October 25th of 2009, Miss Cook Yandel, Cameron's then wife, wrote to the Fort 
Worth Star Telegram stating that right before his execution, Cameron had in fact confessed to her stating that he had started the fire. She had said that uh, during the time, Stacy had actually been preparing to divorce him since he had hit her while she was holding their two-year-old daughter, Amber. And that two weeks right before his execution, she went to visit him. And it was then that he asked her if she remembered her threatening to divorce him. And when she said yes, Cameron stated that he believed that she was really going to do it and he couldn't let that happen. And that he hoped that one day she would forgive him. This goes without saying, though, that Stacy's statements would explicitly contradict previous comments that she had made. Because for a while, she did stay with him. And it was at a point, like, for her, she said that she had to step away and she read the trial manuscripts or like she looked at it like from a jury standpoint and that's when she decided that he was guilty but I'm like the jury evidence was faulty so yeah take with that what you will but that's how in her like that came up a lot as to how she determined if he was guilty she said I looked at it like as if I was the jury Not that necessarily Cameron would confess to it. It wasn't until after 2009 that she would start to say, oh, Cameron confessed to me and whatnot. Hmm. What was also interesting was that earlier that same year, there was an affidavit that had came out stating that there had not been a confession by Willingham and that things between her and her husband had been amicable before the fire and that there was no sign of divorce. So she contradicts herself pretty heavily. It's not to say that victims of domestic violence don't do that, but it's just a point to be made. She stuck with the new story, though, and in 2010, she would again declare that Todd murdered Amber, Cameron, and Carmen. He burnt them. He admitted that he burnt them to me, and he was convicted for his crime. This is the closest to justice that my daughters will get. I did want to shed a little bit of light on this case. Um, So like I know Sarah had caught on, I did mention a name, Ernest Williams, in the investigation report that was done alongside Cameron's. And that was because when the Innocence Project had put in their report to testify against the innocence of Cameron Todd Willingham, they were also fighting for the innocence of Ernest Willis, who was also on death row. Though Cameron's help would come too late, it would come in time for Ernest. Now, he had been accused of killing two women in in a fire in his West Texas home in 1986. And due to Gerald Hurst's testimony and hard work, he was able to get Ernest's case dismissed in 2004. The state of Texas would later admit to his innocence and offer Ernest the maximum compensation under the state's wrongful conviction statute. Using the same evidence that was used to say that, hey, it's, what am I trying to say? Using the same evidence 
to basically say that Cameron's arson investigation was farce as well. Yeah. Ugh. So for well, Cameron, for it him. came too late, but it did end up saving one man's life. Nice. Like that. Yeah. So when I first started this case, I really thought that it was a clear picture, you know, like this is an innocent man. And then I started looking into the details and I'm like, oh, so he's kind of a dick. And like, there was a lot of times where I too was questioning his innocence. I was like, I don't know if this guy is guilty. It kind of seems like he wanted to start the fire. (laughs) Like, I don't know. But it just goes to show that whatever happened that night the arson investigation that was done that sentenced this man to death was completely and completely inaccurate. Fuck. This one has me feeling all twisted. Like, I don't know how to feel. Obviously, it's fucked up. Like, three little girls died. Yeah. It, It just goes to show that, like, as human beings, there are so many variables that we tend to mess up. And it's like, even when we think we're doing good, hi, welcome to the Christian podcast, even hell is paved with good intentions. So it's like, and this is not to shit on investigators or the people that work so hard to put the bad guys behind bars. This is to say that the cognitive bias that even like the juror members see that investigators see that you and I as podcast, true crime podcasters see it inhibits our ability to see the picture clearly and even when we think someone is so 100% guilty you just never fucking know and that's why I'm like Merry Christmas but don't kill people (laughs) it is under the death penalty because you just never know what person you're sending to meet their fate and at the end of the day not worth it, man. <laughs> Cheers to being. Cheers to scientific <laughs> data. <laughs> even though it's hard. But it, then it's even. But then it's even like the scientific data contradicts the scientific data every day. Like new data yeah. comes out to contradict the old data. So that's why I'm trying to say to do your fucking... it's never right. That's why I'm like, even the data that we use to put people in jail now, how do we know? <laughs> that's under- I don't know. It's all messed up. We still got to put people in jail, though. So. Yeah. Work harder, scientists of the world. Get A's. Please don't cheat. Leave that for us. Don't believe something just because you want to believe it. And leave your biases at home. Bye, Isis. Bye. (laughs) Cheers. Leave five stars. Follow us. Leave a message. Someone, please. We're so fucking lonely. That's our Christmas wish. R-A-R-W podcast. And Red Rum and Red Red, 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 Red. Podcast at gmail.com. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. (laughs) Oh, <laughs>